brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Monday to you. This is Andrew with Lost Origins, and uh, we're stoked to present a very special, unexpected episode of Lost Origins today. I know that the last episode that dropped was the end of season three, and in that episode, CK and I outlined how we are going to be taking just a quick break from production so we can, you know, ideate and scheme on ways to elevate the show, ways that we want to amplify it, take it to the next level, the format, all the things, but, you know, Today marks day 26 of quarantine for my family and myself, and I got to thinking, this is probably a good opportunity to link up with some authors, researchers, investigators that you guys love, you guys want to hear from, and if this is our way of encouraging you and incentivizing you to stay put, stay at home, that's what we're all about, right? So... This week's episode of Lost Origins is brought to you by our very good friends over at Inner Traditions and Baron Company. If you jump onto their website, innertraditions.com, you can check out just a massive library of books and resources and all the rabbit holes. And right now could not be a better time for you to jump onto that site and scoop up a book or two. Um, you know, staying home is important, but maintaining sanity is very, very important in this time. And so you, you grab one of these books and you are going to be set for a hot minute. You're going to be expanding that knowledge base and just diving into mystery after mystery. So innertraditions.com. We can't say enough good things about our homies over there. Jump on the website, check it out, and make sure you have resources to get the best experience out of quarantine possible. All right. So today's episode is one that I'm very excited for. Um, it is just me flying solo today. Um, CK and I are still working on the logistics as to how we're going to coordinate uh, him and I co-hosting the show, but I was fortunate enough to connect with our good friend, Adam Stokes, who I know last season so many of you out there gave us feedback and, and shot us messages on social media and via email uh, just about how much you appreciated him coming onto the show, the insight that he brought to the table, his level of expertise. Um, I mean, this guy is a hitter through and through. He knows his stuff. And today we're going to be talking about some pretty gnarly concepts. Um, we're going to be talking about biblical temples that are located in North America. We're going to be talking about the Egyptian connection to North America. Um, and we're really just just going to focus on our own backyard today. Um, there's a ton of, of archaeological and megalithic sites throughout North America, and you know, more often than not, those sites uh, they, they don't get as much limelight as the ones that you know we commonly think of when we think of ancient megalithic structures, such as Gobekli Tepe, Giza, uh, Peru, Bolivia, all the all the most common places that are associated uh, with megalithic construction. So I'm really, really pumped to pick his brain. And so without further ado, let's just get him on the horn. All right, Adam Stokes, my friend, welcome back to Lost Origins. 
how the hell are you doing in, in this crazy time that, that we're, we're currently living within? <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to be back, Truth. Thank you for thank you for having me. I'm just uh, here at home with uh, my wife and two kids. Uh, everybody is out of work. Um, not like in the fired sense. We were just working from home. Yeah. So I'm uh, teaching both of my classes, my high school class and my college class online. And my wife's firm is closed, so she's doing all her work from home. Um, and I'm homeschooling my six-year-old uh, as he goes through first grade. His first grade teacher who lives down the street will drop off a package to him every week of homework he has to do. But yeah. he's you know, he's doing a really good job, especially for a six-year-old who's trying to figure out you know, what the heck is going on, why can't I see all my friends. And my students um, are doing a really good job just adjusting. Uh, they've, uh, yeah, they've been very uh, kind of supportive and very uh, kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, engaged in the material in spite of everything that's been going on and very understanding. That's amazing. It's really, really good to hear. And uh, I'm glad you and the family are, are doing well. And, and it sounds like you guys have a, a pretty awesome rhythm going, you know, at least that's what I see on social media. Uh, we've have, you know, we have four kids in the house. And so it has definitely <laughs> taken us a hot minute to uh, get used to the working from home, but then also, yeah. uh, you know, homeschooling for humans and also trying to maintain sanity. And so I have found that, uh, once again in my life, I returned to music as my way of finding, you know, solace and peace. I've been, I've been writing a, a record for about six months now. And, uh, this oh, last, nice. this last 24 days in quarantine, it has, it has allowed me some time to really take my production chops to the next level. And so I'm, I'm really, really enjoying that as well. So they're, they're, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 So I, I can't say I've been doing, uh, anything that creative. I've just been uh, binge watching uh, Netflix and Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica when I can. There is nothing when, wrong with Battlestar Galactica <laughs> or Star Wars, my friend. That is that is a, a solid use of the time for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, uh, listen, I thought this would be a fun uh, conversation, good opportunity for you and I to link up. You have recently written two articles for the Lost Origins website. Um, you know, we had a conversation in season three that was just amazing. And, you know, we, we birthed the shot and we said, we want to have another conversation with you. So here we are. I thought it would be cool for us to kind of talk through the articles that you wrote for the website. I know that a lot of our listeners have checked those out. They've spent time uh, digging through them. And those two articles, uh, either as a refresher or for the uninitiated, uh, we have the mound builders and the Egyptian origin of America's pyramids. And we also have the most recent, which came out last week, biblical temples in North America. Both of these are incredible, incredible reads. Um, they're, they're just well-researched, well put together. I love the way you, I love the way that you write. Um, so I thought like we could start with the former article, right? You open the mound builders and the Egyptian origin of American's pyramids in, in such a powerful way, man. And you, 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 you use this line that just hooks you from the and it's unbeknownst to many, North America is home to various ancient architectural wonders rivaling those found elsewhere in the world, whether these be the pyramids of Egypt or the Great Wall of China. Like, hot damn, that is one hell of a sentence, mic drop material all day long. So I thought maybe set the stage and walk us through uh, some of these sites that, 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 that you're speaking to in this article. My pleasure. My pleasure. You know, they always say, Drew, that you know the first sentence of any article that you write is the one that's going to hook people and get them to read uh, the rest of it, no matter how long it is. So I For try sure. to make that as sexy as possible. Um, but yeah, I, I think when a lot of people uh, think of sites in America, they always turn to South America which uh, has you know, amazing sites itself, the Mayan pyramids, Mayan temples. Um, but what goes completely overlooked a lot of times is uh, the uh, rich culture and the rich history of pre-Columbian North America uh, or the modern uh, United States. And there is so much rich history here. There's so many uh, different sites here and architectural wonders that um, are so often um, just have, haven't been looked at, haven't been... Uh, Really, the public hasn't been exposed to these sites um, all that much. Um, I can give you a uh, kind of a rundown, a couple of my favorites. Yeah, I'm let's like do that. I talk about this all day, but <laughs> I'm going I'm I'm to condense it. Uh, so um, I think for me, first and foremost, are the Newark uh, Earthworks, which uh, I talked about the last time I was on the show. Yeah. Um, they date between 100 um, to 500 CE, and they actually consist of several different mounds or earthworks, the Great Circle Earthwork, the 
octagon earthwork and the right earthwork. Um, and just as I mentioned uh, last time I was on the show, just a treasure trove of uh, Native American culture um, and uh, traditions there for, for those interested. Uh, we found a lot of pottery sherds. We found a lot of copper, um, copper works um, and uh, Semitic uh, inscriptions. So that's probably uh, my favorite. Um, of course, there's also Poverty Point, uh, which is another mound um, in uh, West Carroll Parish, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually not just one mound, it's multiple mounds. Um, they label them A, B, C, D, E, F. And those are super old, Drew. Those go back to uh, 1700 to 1000 BCE. Um, so much older than the Newark Earthworks. Um, you have the Serpent Mound in Adams County, Ohio, um, which is really fascinating. Uh, that's uh, 13. 176 feet long um, and built uh, likely around 320 uh, BCE. So that that's really old um, as well. Um, I guess the last mound I'll mention, and there's some other uh, architectural sites that um, aren't, aren't mounds at all, but are actually uh, pretty cool, um, pretty awesome. But the Cahokia Mound in Illinois, um, Monk's, uh, Monk's Mound is there. Uh, which is pretty well known, um, all things considered. Uh, um, it's a famous, uh, very well-known uh, copper works uh, facility. It's the largest pre-Columbian uh, earthwork, but it dates late. It dates to um, around 1,000 or 1,100 CE, though I have some more stuff to say about that later because it may not be as late as people traditionally ascribe it. Um, but, uh, but very fascinating, especially in its connection uh, with uh, the Giza Pyramid, which I'll talk about, uh, which I would love to talk about uh, later on. And then um, to wrap it up, just a few that I think are just really cool, unmound related. Uh, you have Mystery Hill, which is basically America's Stonehenge in New Hampshire. Um, we don't know who built those. We don't actually know the date for those for that site. Uh, same with Casa Grande, the Casa Grande ruins in Arizona. We don't know who built those. Uh, we don't know the date of those sites, but basically just a large uh, stone structure. Now, one of my favorites outside of the mounds, just to kind of uh, conclude here, is uh, Cliff Palace in Mesa Verde National Park in Colorado. These okay. are things that are built into, this is a whole freaking city built into stone. Um, it's fairly recent. Again, that's kind of questionable. They're saying about 800 years ago. We know it was occupied 800 years ago, but when it was actually built, uh, we're not sure. But it's right into, it's built right into uh, the mountain itself. Um, really crazy. If you ever get to look it up, if you ever Google it, um, look at the pictures, uh, pretty, pretty amazing wonder. So all of these things are, are, are things that, you know, not a lot of people know about the public doesn't know about, but, um, amazing architectural feats, just as amazing as what you get in South America and what you get in the old world, um, in Egypt and in Stonehenge and in other places. Yeah. It's just out of curiosity. Is that last one that you mentioned in Colorado, is that the one that's near garden of the gods kind of, kind of close to Colorado Springs there? I I think so. Yeah. 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 And I believe that like, so I've been there. I I lived in in Denver for several years and I used to go to garden of the gods quite frequently and just happened to cruise over there and check it out one day. And I want to say that like all of the uh, materials and signs and whatnot that that you can read as you're working your way through the site, they point to the, the Pueblos, as yeah, yeah that, that's that's the to your point who inhabited it 800 years ago but um it there's definitely some some mystery and controversy wrapped around that site too yeah yeah there's a lot of i mean and uh dr Greg little's talked about this as well with his uh, genesis of an origins book yeah. um there is uh some leeway because we don't know if the people inhabiting the sites are the same people who built the sites or maybe built over an earlier site. Um, this is especially true with uh, the Cahokia Mounds and Monk's Mound, uh, which seems to date pretty late. Like I said, that's well into the Common Era, 1100 CE. Um, but there's some actual funky stuff happening uh, with that as well. It's just mind bending because when you when you think about ancient megalithic sites, right? At least at least for me, when I think about those, when I contemplate them, my my mind immediately goes to, um, you know, like the showboaty sites, if you will, where you've got Giza, yeah. you've got Gobekli Tepe, you've got literally yeah. everything in Peru and Bolivia, um, you know, Mayan cultures and in Mexico and whatnot. It's just, you, I, I feel like we we take for granted what's in our own backyard, um, and and it's just. It's pretty crazy to think about all of the things that, that exist here in North America that, um, for a, the lack of a better term, are 
neglected. Uh, yeah. Not not in terms yeah. of like upkeep or maintenance or, or exploration or, or you know investigation, but like it's just not a thing that we we often think about it, as, as yeah. it being grandoise as you know uh, Giza. Yeah, I think we're very much into that mindset. I know you guys have raised this the last time we talked that pre-Columbus, you know. Uh, basically, uh, America and especially North America really didn't have uh, any type of history, and that's that's just not true. And so I think you know I think it's kind of the tradition that we've inherited in our history books and our textbooks, and in a lot of cases, whether deliberately or not, um, a lot of these uh, really amazing architectural sites were were destroyed. Um, right. Some just uh, by you know. They wanted to build up a shopping center or something. They were they were destroyed, and others more deliberately. But we don't uh, even the sites we have, sadly enough, as glorious as they are, we don't have them in their in their full glory. Right. Um, in a lot of cases, um, especially with the Newark earthworks, a lot of those uh, they speculate that there were a lot. Uh, there were several other more mounds uh, that were likely uh, destroyed. So um, so that's kind of sad there. Well, you know, you, you'd mentioned like we don't have them in their their glory, you know, right? Like it's, they're not, there's a lot of stuff that has been destroyed. Um, I'm also wondering if we have like a complete understanding, whether we're talking about the mounds uh, in Michigan or Ohio or Illinois, West Virginia, Mississippi. I mean, in, in your article, The Mound Builders and the Egyptian Origin of America's Pyramids, you, you cover a lot of terrain there. You're focusing specifically on these different mound structures, which are very pyramidal uh, in shape, uh, but most of them have like almost a, a plateau or a flat uh, surface. So yeah. my question is, is is that intact, that being the history? Do we know uh, who built these things and and like when? Do we do we have any under, uh, ideas to, to like a, a, an epoch behind these things? That's, that's a great question. And the very simple answer to that is... Uh, Yes and no, leaning more towards the no. So we label, um, if you look at the academic literature, um, even now, even in the 21st century, uh, they'll say, you know, we cannot specifically uh, label uh, the community that built uh, these mounds. They just call them generically uh, the mound building cultures. I think the great example of this is uh, with um, the Mississippi culture that uh, built the mounds in, uh, in the American South. Mm-hmm. Um, they just call them Mississippi culture and they're substrands of that Mississippi culture. Now, uh, for the earthworks and for the mounds that are in uh, kind of the Midwest region, um, scholars, uh, most archaeologists uh, would say that they were built by, by two groups, the Adena and the Hopewell. But get this, Drew, this is not their actual names. Those names were given to those people uh, from the dudes who basically uh, excavated or found uh, stuff in those regions. Mm. So I think one dude was named Hopewell, the other one was named Adina or something like that. Yeah. So we actually don't know, um, just based on the archaeological record, we don't uh, actually know the uh, names of the groups that uh, constructed these mounds. But I do think, and this is where um, I think you have to think outside of the box and kind of move away from uh, the conclusions that mainstream academia has 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 uh, drawn. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where, you know, independent research, independent study is so important. I think there are other clues within the culture that give us a clear identification as to who these people are. So um, in short, in short, uh, I think that mainstream academics would say, no, we don't really know. We can't really give a name to uh, the particular culture who built these mounds. Uh, But I think uh, my own opinion is that if you look at uh, some of the traditions and the artifacts found in these regions, um, I think you can trace them to a particular uh, culture, which is why I talk about the Egypto uh, Israelites in my writings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, two questions for you. First, um, at, at what age, or if ever, did you stop using the the the, the mental moniker M I S S I S S I P P I, the little thing from a kid when anytime you had to spell Mississippi? Um, <laughs> that you know that the important questions, Adam. Those always come up first. I still use that. Yeah, yeah. I was still, yeah, I was writing down my notes. And I, I still have to, I still have to say it in my head. So never gets old. So then, my second question, though, uh, this is a real uh, grown-up question now. Um, 
I'm almost wondering if, you know, when, when we're talking about these sites, especially down in Mississippi, you know, Scott Walter, uh, who's been on the show before, he has done some work investigating the possibility that uh, the Mayan people made their way up into parts of South America, uh, Southern United States, uh, like into Georgia, for example. And he's been um, comparing the analysis of, uh, I believe it was, it was, um, paint fragments and whatnot uh, to, to like, confirm whether or not that they had, had migrated up into um, the Georgia area long, long, long ago. So I'm almost wondering, like, you know, that culture was very much steeped in megalithic architecture, megalithic construction. Have you spent yeah. much time noodling on whether or not, like, we're, we're potentially looking at remnants of Mayan presence in America? I mean, if, if we don't know the name of the cultures who built these things, we don't know whether or not, uh, they occupied them or built them or built on top of previously built structures. Like, ha- have you spent much time contemplating that, Adam? Uh, that's a really, uh, that's a really good question. Um, I love Scott Walter's work. Um, I've been watching, uh, his American on earth since, uh, God knows how, how long yeah, and I'm same. so glad he came back on the travel channel. Um, just amazing, amazing scholar, amazing researcher. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, I think, um, and I am guilty of this tendency so much to, we draw a clear distinction between <laughs> North and South America, mm-hmm. you know, you go over the Mexican border. That's the South America that you can't, you, and there's no, um, there's no interaction between the two, but that, that border is really in our mind. That border has never really existed. Yeah. Um, and I think that, um, it's perfectly uh, plausible that, uh, there was, uh, mine influence into uh, North America and the same vice versa that, uh, whoever these now Billy people were, uh, went into the Maya culture and possibly influenced them. Um, that's something I need to, uh, research, uh, more. Um, I'd be very interested in kind of, uh, seeing, you know, what, what comes of that. I can tell you that the most recent issue of ancient American magazine, um, which is a magazine I sometimes contribute to. Uh, I love this work. Um, they actually talked about a, the possibility of a Mayan temple pyramid uh, in uh, North America. So uh, not just Walter's work, but several other scholars have uh, been arguing for Mayan influence um, in North America as well. Mm. That's something that I would definitely like to look into more and see. Is there a Maya, uh, you know, Egyptian uh, type uh Hope well, Adina type of uh, connection on it, and you know, I think this goes to a larger issue of you know diffusionism, cultural diffusionism. Um, how are these uh, cultures, uh, what, or I should say, let me reframe that: Why are these cultures doing things the way they're doing? Did you just wake up and say, you know, I'm going to build a pyramid? Um, probably not. I mean, we see similarities amongst all these cultures. And I think, you know, that there is uh, exchange and interchange amongst all of these cultures. Yeah. It's really, really crazy. Like the rabbit holes that open up in the mind when you, when oh, you yes. start to look at all of the possibilities. Um, and, and you, you, we were like, you said it so well, Adam, like that border exists in our mind because some dude drew it on a map, <laughs> right? Yes, it's, yeah. it's not a thing. It's not a real thing outside of like what we've allowed it to become. And so when, when you remove that from the equation, the possibilities and rabbit holes, just man, they become endless. And so, I'd, I'd like to jump down a rabbit hole with you right now, man. So in that article that you wrote for the website, you present some pretty gnarly parallels, uh, specifically to like the dimensions of the Ohio mounds and the Giza pyramids. And holy shit, if anybody out there has not looked at that, uh, I, I, I am, please pause this and go read that article real quick. And then when you're done scooping, uh, the remnants of your brain off the floor, come back and then jump back in to get, uh, get, get Adam's take on that firsthand. So Adam hit us with that. Walk us through those correlations, those connections, and then just hit us with like, what do you think we're looking at here? I know we've already mentioned diffusionism, but, but I just, from the horse's mouth, what do you think we're seeing here? Well, this, this blew my mind. Um, I remember uh, the first time I heard about the parallels between the North American mounds and the Giza pyramid was from Frank Joseph. And he's written several books, uh, Unearthing Ancient America uh, ancient technology of, uh, the American, of, uh, the North Americans. Um, he's written several books on this. And when he mentioned it, I think he mentioned it also on your show. I was like, um, dude, even though I have like the highest respect and highest regard for Frank Joseph, I was like, is this, you know, it, could this possibly be true? 
And I started doing some research on my own and uh, shocker, uh, not really shocking. Frank Joseph was absolutely right. So for Monk's Mound, the dimensions of it, basically um, the base of the mound is the same exact freaking dimensions as the Giza Pyramid, 13.1 acres or 5.3 hectares. Um, This is the type of stuff that someone like myself, who is very much... um, very much advocates that fusion model. This seems to be a clear cut connection between uh, the culture of ancient, uh, the architects of ancient Egypt and the architects of North America. Now, um, before I go on, I want to uh, kind of address a criticism that someone will immediately raise. Um, if you know, if uh, listeners are paying attention to the beginning of the show, I know that Monk's Mound. Um, is usually dated between 1000 and 1100 CE. So it's kind of late. Um, but there's a couple of things going on here uh, that have to be taken into consideration. One, um, and your mainstream uh, academic, your mainstream archaeologist is going to acknowledge this as well. Um, that, is, that date is taken from the peak of whatever culture was there. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that those mounds uh, date to earlier. It's just that those mounds were used uh, at that, or excuse me, that site at its peak was used um, around uh, 1100 uh, CE. Um, but there is a lot of evidence um, that has been uh, that uh, independent researchers have raised that this site was um, occupied by earlier building structures. So the same, uh, so you have the same dimensions, but there was an older site there on those dimensions that dates to much earlier than the common era. It seems to have been used uh, much later uh, by uh, native uh, by other Native American uh, groups. Um, so um, I mentioned before Dr. Uh, George, uh, Dr. Greg Little, he notes this phenomenon throughout North America, how you'll have a really freaking old ancient site that uh, the original inhabitants like die out, they go extinct, and then later inhabitants come and say, oh, this is really you know, amazing. This must be some type of sacred site. And uh, they house themselves there. So um, the Monk Mound, even if it dates to the Common Era, we're possibly looking at a place whose dimensions parallel with the dimensions of the Giza Pyramid uh, were, was possibly uh, built and used much, much earlier. We see this actually all the time in... Um, Western history with um, with Christian churches. So uh, in England, in Ireland, um, in Germany, there will be these sacred sites that the Druids and that the pre-Christian Europeans had, um, and Christians will be like, uh, this is a source of great power, so they'll build their churches on these earlier sites. Does that mean that um, the site only dates to when that church was built? No. The site has a longer, a much longer history uh, than that, but it was used by later um, later inhabitants because they sensed that there was some type of uh, power or sacredness uh, there. Um, but for me, um, yeah, for me, uh, Monk's Mound is one of the clearest examples, along with the Newark Earthworks, uh, of cultural uh, diffusionism. I don't think it gets uh, it gets better than that. That's kind of like the the smoking gun at this point, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Damn. And so one thing that I can't help, but like, and I'm not trying to take us back to, um, you know, Central America, but I'm gonna, sorry. Um, no, you no know, problem. so like we, we have the, the pyramidal, like the, the base perimeter, you know, the, the measurements there, the dimensions there, uh, between Ohio and Giza b- just being so in line with each other. And that's bonkers. And yes, that, that points to diffusionism. Um, have you had any conversations or spent time researching the, Teotihuacan, Teotihuacan connection as well, right? So we have that pyramid being eerily similar to Giza as well. And so like when, when I hear the, the Ohio mounds being reminiscent of Giza, it, in my mind, I'm connecting all three of those as more of a, yeah. um, like, okay, now we have like a pattern here. We have potentially a, like, global um initiative or this could be um like mm-hmm. refugees almost of some kind of ancient lost civilization that was displaced coming out of that um you know 
episode of, of human, human history and using the knowledge that they already had pre-cataclysm to reboot and rebuild, but the location was dependent upon where they were displaced to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What do you like? What What are your thoughts yeah. on that? I think that's a really good point. I know uh, Frank Joseph he argues for kind of an Atlantean uh, source, uh, basically a civilization that uh, through uh, a massive deluge or catastrophe. Um, had uh, basically the survivors of that retained uh, the architectural knowledge of this lost civilization, and I do think you know that is that is a possibility. Um, I also, and this is something um, that I think we talked about a little bit last time I was on the show. Um, I think you have different migrations at different times, so it's possible that um, the South American structures they might have been influenced by an Egyptian. Uh, type of culture uh, themselves. And I think that, you know, beyond the pyramids themselves in South America, there are a lot of other connections in uh, just the cultural traditions and the artifacts and stuff that have been found there uh, that uh, kind of point uh, to a uh, to a Near Eastern um, connection. And I know mm-hmm. that um, there are there are some scholars, particularly uh, within uh, the field of of kind of Mormonism, um, I can talk more about that later, who would uh, argue for kind of a direct uh, dependence on Egypt, uh, excuse me, a direct uh, dependence on Egypt uh, with with the Mayan tradition. Hmm. So just like you open your article with the mic drop and the sexiest shit ever, you're going you're gonna to do that to us right now, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just, just going to tease it. And I think it's a good time though, too. Like we do have to take just a quick break, but when we come back, let's let's jump back in go full rip and uh keep keep exploring this rabbit hole some more from adam stokes after the break friends welcome back to this week's episode of lost origins a very special and unexpected episode that we wanted to drop to help with staying inside so this episode is brought to you by washing your hands um this week we are connecting with our friend and homie adam stokes before the break we were digging into one of his articles that he had written for the lost origins website the mound builders and the egyptian origin of america's pyramids man what one hell of a ride and uh uh, we were talking about the Ohio mounds, uh, the connections to Giza, and uh, before the break, Adam, he had started to tease a little bit about diffusionism, but we had also started kind of poking at the bear that is the Book of Mormon. In true choose-your-own-adventure <laughs> fashion, I'm going to let you just steer us down whichever path you'd like to take us right now. So pick your poison, and let's do the thing. I'll, I'll start with diffusionism, because I think that will lead into... Uh, discussions of the the Book of Mormon. Boom. Um, so, uh, in mainstream academic circles, uh, the the common model is the migrationist model, especially in looking at the approach um, and looking at uh, the uh, history of ancient America. So, uh, you have uh, the Clovis model: uh, people coming through the Bering Strait uh, and settling uh, into America. Um, and I don't want to dismiss that completely, but I think you have uh, going on also uh, migrations of uh, other groups uh, into the region from various from various places uh, in the world, not okay. just the Bering Strait and over uh, various times and bringing their culture and their religion um, into play in North America. And so uh, what um, scholars like myself argue for is kind of the diffusionist model, which is where you have a uh, transaction of cultural traditions, interaction of cultural traditions uh, between uh, groups separated uh, by long distances. Um, And 
uh, not just with North America, but in general, mainstream archaeology tends to shy away from that. They want to view everything as migrationist. But there are times when this can't be disputed. So, for example, uh, with the Vikings. We know the Vikings came to North America. They built sites here. Uh, that can't be disputed. So there are times when mainstream archaeology and mainstream academia has to admit uh, evidence for uh, diffusionism, but it usually doesn't like to. When, each, when uh, mainstream uh, scholars talk about diffusionism, they'll usually relegate it uh, to the back of their book, to the appendix of, of their book. Um, I think one of my favorite books, I love this book, Ancient um, Native Americans. Um, it uh, is written by a mainstream scholar, and he has a whole, basically a fascinating chapter on diffusionism from Egypt and from the Phoenicians, but he includes it in the appendix of his book. So you won't even, if you're like, um, if you're reading it and you don't read appendixes, uh, you're not even going to notice that. Um, so, and this is kind of, I, I mentioned this because this is kind of the general attitude that mainstream academia has uh, towards uh, diffusionism. Mm -hmm. But I think that in North America, um, you have uh, clear-cut examples of cultural influence from the old world onto the new. I've always struggled with just like the, the opposition to diffusionism in general. I mean, if there, there's so many reasons why it makes sense, whether you're talking, you know, Tor, Heyerdahl and the, the Contiki, or you're looking at yeah. uh, different, you know, petroglyph sites uh, in California that like uh, yeah. guys like Carl Lerberger are pointing to. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's all over. Um, and it's not just megalithic sites or, you know, petroglyph sites or some dude that built a raft either. I mean, if you look at at, um, like agriculture, for example, um, and, and the, the specificity is escaping me, so I apologize. But I want to say that I, I read an article uh, that that you know somebody had done the research looking at a very specific uh, seed that is very common and indigenous to um, Western South America, and that being found, um, you know, in the middle of the ocean, you know, over by where the Rapa Nui people are with, with the Moai. Um, it's it's just it's it's mind bending, right? And that kind yeah, that kind of stuff yeah. is is not an accident. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's you you mentioned. Uh, um, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the ag uh, um, agricultural evidence. Uh, John Sorensen has a whole list. Um, he's worked closely with uh, biologists. A whole list of plants and uh, vegetables that are not indigenous to North America and could only have been brought over here by different groups over long periods of uh, time. Charles Mann kind of does the same thing in his 1491 book, um, talking about uh, just uh, the the evidence for uh, cultural diffusionism, cultural interaction in the form of uh, the agriculture, uh, excuse me, the agriculture that we find in North America. Right, right. So, you know, when we're looking at diffusionism, we're making these connections here. My, my, I just can't help but wonder, like, are any of these mounds that, that you're referencing in this second article, right? Biblical temples in North America. Are any of these, is there, is there any overlap between these mounds and the mounds that you describe in, in your first article, the mound builders and Egyptian origin of America's pyramids? And, and if so, like, what does your mind do with that possibility? Like, what do you think the, the larger scale implications could be if, if that is you know, the case. Yeah, I think, um, I think there's definitely, uh, definitely overlap. Um, I think, uh, so the book that I referenced in biblical temples, uh, the mound builders, um, the scholar there, Schnell is actually, uh, Schnell is actually looking at the Newark earthworks, um, in Ohio, uh, which is one of the, uh, mounds that I mentioned, uh, in the previous article, the mound builders and the Egyptian origins of, America's pyramids. Um, and not only uh, does the uh, temple there that Schnell describes mirror kind of the dimensions and the structure that we get uh, in the near ancient Near East uh, with the Shiloh temple, the Shiloh tradition that's mentioned in 1 Samuel, uh, with Samuel sleeping in the chamber. Um, you have the same exact thing uh, with the Hopewell temple there. Um, but uh, we found we found at Newark uh, various cultural artifacts, various inscriptions uh, that are Semitic, which are su suggesting uh, direct uh, cultural influence from the Near East as well. Um, so, and which is which is fascinating, uh, fascinating yeah. to me. 
For sure, for sure. It's it's yeah, the the the, the again, like I said earlier, the rabbit holes are abundant when we're looking at these these connections and these possibilities here. So let's do this. Hit me with this the the Book of Mormon connections. Like how does the, the Book of Mormon tie into this entire mystery? I feel like that's that is like, you know, one massive piece that on the surface doesn't apparent like doesn't seem like it fits into this puzzle at least for me so like walk me through that help me understand like how how all of that ties into what we're looking at here yeah yeah so um the book of mormon claims to be an ancient record of uh basically North America. Now, when you hear the Book of Mormon, you think a religious text, which it certainly is, uh, but the person who claimed to translate it, basically the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, he understood it first and foremost as a historical um, account. Um, And so um, I preface this, I I mentioned this, uh, because it's easy to, when you hear the Book of Mormon, get off track and just say, oh, this is, you know, a, a religious, this is a religious text, but it's also meant to be a historical uh, documentation of the history of the ancient inhabitants of North America. Okay. Um, and when you, um, and when it was originally published, um, it was published, uh, kind of if you, ever, if you ever can get a facsimile of the 1830 edition of the book of Mormon, um, they sell them for like 25 or $29, um, on, uh, on Amazon. Um, I have one, uh, here on my bookshelf. Um, but it looks, uh, basically like, uh, basically your, um, your standard uh, 19th century uh, uh, history book. So it's basically a history book or, you know, a historical novel. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't have verses or anything like that. So um, this uh, scholars point to this and say, you know, Joseph Smith really thought of this as a history book. Now, the circumstances around it um, are are controversial or debatable. um, But if if it's claiming to be, um, if we take the claim that it, uh, that it's a history book and that it tells uh, the history of ancient inhabitants, um, then it gives us uh, some insight as to who the identity of the mound builders might be. And I mentioned earlier that mainstream scholars still um, are reluctant to give a specific identification uh, to to the mound builders. So we give them names: Hopewell, Adina, Mississippi culture, Mississippian culture, um, but we don't actually connect them with a specific. Uh, group. Um, but in the Book of Mormon, uh, architectural structures very similar to the mounds um, are mentioned um, and described, but they're attributed specifically to uh, Near Eastern refugees who came over after the destruction of Jerusalem, or slightly before, excuse me, slightly before the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BCE uh, to uh, North America. Mm. Um, so I think. Um, if uh, that claim that it's an ancient document, it claims to be translated uh, from metal plates. And we do know, not trying to be a religious apologist here, but we do know that um, both in North and South America, uh, metallic plates, silver plates uh, were used uh, to record um, to record things. We even have this in uh, the Near East with the Dead Sea Scrolls. So you have the Copper Scroll of Isaiah, uh, which was used uh, to write uh, the Book of Isaiah. Uh, for the Dead Sea community. So we do have evidence of this, and the Book of Mormon claims to be from similar uh, metallic uh, plates hmm. as an ancient record. And if that's the and if that is the case, big if there, I understand that, but if that is the case, I think it goes a long way towards uh, helping us identify who these actual mound builders were. And I think that when you take uh, what it says in relation to the archaeological evidence, the Semitic inscriptions that we found, uh, the dimensions of the mounds, the structure of the mounds, uh, which parallel Egyptian and Israelite structures, then I think that this supports um, a Dacrisianist view of uh, Near Eastern, as I like to call them again, Egypto-Israelites migrating, maybe several migrations over a long course of time, maybe only a couple migrations over a short period of time, but definitely migrating to the New World uh, to uh, North America and settling there. So what what kind of work is currently being done to just like further the exploration uh, of the connection here and the possibilities that, that you just shared with us? Like, is, is that an ongoing effort that you're aware of or, or participating in? Um, yes, not, a, um, uh, so a lot of the work that I do is, uh, basically on my own as an independent scholar, but sure. there are, uh, Mormons in the field. Um, so the Joseph Smith foundation, 
um, groups like that, uh, which try to uh, find uh, these uh, connections between uh, basically the old world and uh, the news. So there was recently, it's on Amazon uh, Prime Video, um, if you have the chance to watch it, since we have plenty of hours of time. That's all I got right now, man. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But actually tracing uh, kind of uh, taking the Viking migration uh, to the United States and um, showing kind of Israelite connections uh, with uh, the Vikings. So you have kind of have a double dose of Dacusianism, as I like to call it, uh, there. And then, um, as I mentioned before, John Sorensen's work really looking at kind of the uh, agricultural evidence uh, for diffusionism. A lot of Mormon scholars will place the Book of Mormon actually in a South American setting. Um, I'm one of uh, I'm one of a group known as kind of the um, the, the Great Lakes uh, people who place it in a North American setting. So there's a lot of research being done um, on kind of the South American connections to the Old World oh. uh, to uh, to the near. Um, to the Near East. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, Mormons will point to, for example, Kukul Khan, uh, the, the great uh, bearded white god, the great serpent as being, uh, there are a lot of parallels, actually some very interesting parallels between how that god is described and uh, how uh, Jesus is described in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, so some some very interesting stuff. Uh, going on there. Yeah, there's definitely some really cool connections there. And I've spent a ton of time just pouring over that and, uh, you know, trying to make sense of the the striking similarities that, that you find between the two. So let, yeah. let's, let's do this. Like, cause I, we're, we're almost at our time and I, I, I want to respect yours. I know that you've got a uh, little ones sleeping at home. And, and again, I appreciate <laughs> the hell out of you making time for this conversation today, but My like, pleasure. so for, for our listeners out there who, you know, they just got hit with all this information and uh, it was rapid fire and it was a lot. And thank you. Um, do you have any resources or um, like, directions that you can point them in to allow them to continue to to dig in and 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 explore all these different similarities and connections that, that we're seeing in north america like what's the best resource for people out there to to continue this this quest yeah yeah i well first of all i want to give a shout out to uh, ancient american magazine and wayne may i think um just for the lay person for the common reader uh, you'll find the best information about ancient north america and uh, evidence for Dacusianism in that magazine. Um, that magazine um, was edited by uh, Frank Joseph, who's written uh, several amazing books on ancient America. Um, just Google him; his books will come up, and um, you'll find those. Uh, those are those are great resources uh, for people. Um, Amazon Prime. Yes, I keep pushing uh, Amazon Prime because um, I've been watching a lot of them lately in the quarantine. Um, but they have uh, several uh, documentaries, um, one entitled The Mound Builders, as well as uh, The Quest for the New Fights that I mentioned earlier um, that uh, talk about Diffusionism. Uh, the latter video is kind of from a Mormon context, but if you want um, one that just gives a general, a really good detailed overview um, from kind of a uh, purely uh, academic standpoint, uh, The Mound Builders. Uh, would be uh, would be your documentary. Um, I also have a couple articles out. Um, Drew mentioned them on uh, Lost Origins. I also have a book out that recently was published from Egypt to Ohio, which looks at this topic uh, directly. So I think uh, any of those places, especially Ancient American Magazine, would be a great starting point uh, for you. Man, that's amazing. Well, listen, Adam, it is always a, such a pleasure talking to you. We, we, we appreciate the hell out of you here at Lost Origins. Um, I'm, I'm, we, we, I'm really, really grateful for, for, you know, for the hour that we were able to spend together today. Um, it's good to, to talk shop and, and, you know, just talk about some stuff that, you know, is not currently pervasive on the news or social media. And so I, my, my hope is that, you know, our, our listeners out there, you know, were able to kind of unplug for an hour and, uh, just enjoy using the noodle for something else, you know? Yes, yes. We all need to do that. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, listen, my friend, um, stay safe out there. Wash those hands. You know, look at the silver mo- the silver lining moments that, that life is providing us right, you know, with right now, with, with being able to, to be home with the kids if, if, if that's your situation. Um, yes. We hope that you guys uh, make the best use of the time and uh, stay healthy, my friend. 
Thanks, Drew. Same to you. Stay safe, man. I appreciate that. Bye now. Man, I cannot say enough. It's one of the nicest on the face of the earth. He's so knowledgeable about all of the different subjects and, and topics that, that exploring and that he can explain. Conversations with him are oh, such a good time. So I don't know what to expect. I don't know whether or not we're going to be dropping an episode next week. I can tell you that we're going to do everything that we can to keep content flowing. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the episode, um, we, we have some stuff to talk about as it relates to, you know, how could we approach production uh, during the here and now. Um, but we are not ready to Babe Ruth the shot on the schedule for, for releases. But what I will say is jump onto social media, jump onto the website, link up with us somehow, and just help us build a list of the different guests that you guys would like to see. We will do what we can to make it happen. We want to make sure that you guys have, you know, resources and, and content and episodes of the show to consume while we are, you know, going through the social distancing and the, and the stay at home uh, approach to life that, that is the new norm. So just make sure that you guys are sharing with us who you would like to have come on the show because we want to make sure that we're building content and episodes that you guys are going to enjoy the most, right? So make sure that you guys smash that subscribe button, link up with us on social media, let us know what you're reading, let us know what you guys are exploring, let us know how you're using the time, uh, make sure you wash your hands and don't touch your face because that's important and just stay safe out there, right? The world is a crazy place right now. Um, it's, it's pretty insane what's happening. Um, but at the end of the day, if we all do our part, we will definitely be able to overcome this. So until next time, I'm Andrew and I challenge you to question 